<laughs> yeah, it's so excited sounding. Okay, we're ready to go. James, welcome. Welcome. Welcome back to WTDG Podcast for the week of May 16th. Be with you? Is it with you? Because everyone is saying our, our stuff now. Every Everyone's picking up on this. They... Man, oh man, I don't know. We haven't even been able to cast since the the since May the fourth be with you. Where where have you been? Where have I been? I have been in the deepest, darkest depths of hell, aka Florida. Was it worth it? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I um I I did have a pretty good time. But I did spend a ridiculous amount of money. And for what, I ask? I mean, I had a lot of fun with my LTCP. Uh, we did the we did the roundup, the uh, the the typical Orlando the Orlando jam, the Orlando floss, where you go to all the big ones, including uh, so Ken- like uh, you go to Arby's, you go to Checkers, you go Buca de Beppo, you, you go to all the featured restaurants, you go to to Miami so that you can see the, the big RB. Yeah. The you, you see RB the biggest Arby's. You see the world's biggest Arby's and then, and then you go back uh, seven times in a row and then you get on a flight back home. That's what that's, that's the Orlando jam. <clears throat> no, um, we, we went to uh, a couple of the, di- we didn't go to the animal thing. What is it? Animal kingdom or whatever. What is, what is the animal thing? The animal wing of Disney, you know how Disney is in different uh, regions. It's like there's the the Magic Kingdom, which is uh, a fantasy land ruled by law, by by uh, great powerful knights and a, uh, a demonic king. So this is the one that's like by Simba. This isn't Simba's domain. No, I think I mean Simba's domain would be the animal animal trance. But uh, we went to Hollywood Studios, which is another one of the Star. It's I mean it's a very Star Warsy Disney place at this point in time, I guess. Um, we went to uh, Epcot, the famous, the uh, everyone's everyone who is out of college's favorite uh, part of Disney, where you can drink around the world and get true drunk and embarrassing. And we went to uh, Orlando. And we went to Kennedy Space Center. Uh, when was the last time that that you, uh, if ever, did the uh, the whole Orlando romp? Maybe around the age of twelve. Okay, well, that's. And I only I guess went that... to Disney World. I think. Yeah, I guess that's decent. Um, have you been to any? Have you been to either of the Universals or whatever? Anytime nope. recently? Not once. Not never. Oh, okay. Well, you don't have to because Universal kind of sucks. What? what if I really love Harry Potter? What if I'm the Harry Potter boy? I'm Dumbledore's favorite student. Is it worth it? Then it kind of is, actually. I mean, they they have good uh, they have good Harry Potter. They have like a Harry Potter world. So in the Orlando Universal, there is uh, two representations of two like large parts of the park that are representations of Harry Potter, there is a Diagon Alley, which uh, big Harry Potter fans will right. yeah. will be able to tell me that it's where Harry gets his cloaks and his wands and all of his chocolate frogs. Only the big fans can tell you that because yeah. the medium fans, they've got no clue. They have no idea. And then after that, you can take a train over to the other side of the park, 
where you can you can visit Hogsmeade, which is like a wintry, taverny little in town where you can drink up all the butterbeer and eat chocolate frogs. That's the thing that they eat. Drink up Whoa. the butterbeer. You know, in Universal Studios Japan, they have a whole Monster Hunter section. Struggling to Just find saying, where I, the connection I, I is. I could get down on that. Yeah, I mean, that sounds awesome, I get... but I don't know where the connection is. People love Monster Hunter. People show up at Universal Studios. I guess that's it. Okay, that's well, as, there you go. As it goes. Um, I can't wait to see the new Monster Hunter uh, World Z, uh, the Universal Studios movie. Um, but uh, we did that. Uh, if you haven't done that in a while. You, you do know that there's a Monster Hunter movie coming out, right? By You're Universal? Just, or, or are you goofing? I don't because know. That's a, I didn't know. There's a Monster Hunter movie coming out. Wowza. So there you go. There you go. I guess it must be Universal. Um, uh, yeah, that that is ridiculously expensive. Florida sucks. I hate Florida. Um, that was probably one of the biggest problems. I don't know. I Do can't imagine. Do we just imagine. hate vacation? What? Do we just hate vacation? No, because I loved Japan. I had a great time in Japan. Um, Tokyo is an awesome place. I spent I about half... Like, unstructured vacation. Is that the trick? Like, I, does it I, have to be I, just, yes. like, fast and loose? Like, that's the way to do it, right? That's See, that see that's, that's one of the things, though, right? Like, with the... If you're going to do the parks, uh, my, my LTCP... Is very about is very much about planning and structuring the vacation, and that if actually do, if you're gonna do parks, you have to do it. it, it you're, yeah, you're right. Like if you're gonna do parks, you basically have to do it. And and one of the things that 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 makes Disney actually pretty good to be at, uh, uh, which doesn't really happen for Universal without paying for it, is that everyone who buys a pass to Disney, you can download the app and then you can set up a fast pass. Where you basically say, like, I want to go to this ride between this and this time, and then you get on a very, very short line, and chances are you get to do it. Uh, you get three fast passes, um, so you kind of want to schedule them all pretty close to each other, because once you bang those out, you get another fast pass, and then for the rest of the day, whenever you finish that fast pass, you unlock another fast pass. And the lines are terrible. Like, I, I, I can't Always. imagine... what. Always every theme park, it, it makes me not want to ever go to theme parks because you spend so much time just waiting in lines and that is boring. Yeah, it it's kind of it's kind of crazy because like I, I don't even understand at the at some point what people would love about them. Like, no, yeah, yeah. No matter... I mean, can you imagine going by yourself to a theme park? I cannot imagine like, it. Not having anyone to talk to on the line. That would be bonkers. Oh, my God. That is the worst. That is the worst hell that I can ever imagine. But the. The crazy thing about theme parks and and yeah, like I I don't know if it just makes me fe seem like such a stick in the mud to say is that I I guess I have to really know like like when you're okay so take these two you know add up the amount of money you spent and the amount of time you spent walking between things waiting seventeen hundred dollars sure um waiting on lines. And then, you know, uh, juxtapose that hours. with the amount of time that you even were on a ride, like to, to have fun. Like it rides last between like a minute and two minutes or so. So you you spend like if, if you're if you're, you know, banging these rides out and doing a lot of rides, you're doing like six, seven rides, like 10 rides if it's the park isn't that crowded a day. And 
all of those rides are two minutes after a 45 to an hour minute wait. Do you think you showed up at the right time of year? Like, what was the crowd like? The crowd was pretty good. I mean, the, the crowd was was, was uh, manageable at Disney, and it rained pretty badly for two of the days, which did turn some people off. So Disney wasn't like... Like Epcot and Magic Kingdoms when we Magic Kingdom when we went to it uh, wasn't like aggressively aggressively crowded, but people still show up and you still get like a pretty like a good line at Disney if you're not doing the fast pass is like a 25 minute wait and of and like a and like fast pass was anywhere between three to five minute wait. Uh, so Disney actually is a little bit better because that the whole waiting to fun ratio is a little bit more skewed towards the fun if you're if you are correctly fast passing i feel bad because i saw so many people in these long ass regular human lines the pleb lines who just don't know they just don't know like, right uh, like you can imagine they're, they're from the deep the deepest parts of our country where they don't they just don't have yelp they don't have yelp out there they can't read the yelp review where it says hey here's the tip here's the, here's the hot tip yelp line you got to have the app yeah, like if you are the, the crazy thing is that like parents in the future uh, are going to be better at phones and technology yeah, and sure. and downloading apps. But but you get these these old timers that are bringing their chitlins to the park for the first time and it's supposed to be a magical experience. And then they're sitting on 50 minute the magic of lines. waiting. Those kids are blowing up on those lines. They're actually inflating. But, you know, at least these days, they're probably just playing Fortnite on their phones while they wait in line oh those damn kids that's the, that's the twisted future yeah i actually do have uh have a a list today and that's how you know it's gonna be a good cast because i had to list out the things that i think you or i would want to talk about and one of those things is Fortnite, and i don't know if you want to talk about it but i put it on the list i play Fortnite every single day at this point so maybe uh, you do when you when you're not seeing me on steam i'm usually on epic playing Fortnite. I actually have people that I play Fortnite with, with now, so I'm, I'm just playing all the time. And it keeps changing, and that's just the coolest thing. That's Today great. they released a new weapon, they updated the map, the third week of challenges came out for the season. I mean, I'm getting to the point in Fortnite where I'm starting to really understand high-level strategy in the game. And that's not to say that I'm willing to employ it or that I'm capable of employing it. But, you know, when, when you get to competitive levels in any game, such as, like, uh, League of Legends or a game like Fortnite or even CSGO, there are things that you do in the game that you probably couldn't explain to somebody else. Yeah. Or or you probably... You're, you're beyond, like, the threshold of of explaining that, where it's like... Well, in League, I kill this minion because I'm manipulating the wave. I'm gonna move my my uh, you know mage minions to attack this one melee minion, and it's gonna push the wave in such a way that then I can gank mid. You know, all, all that kind of concept. And you have the same sort of thing in Fortnite, but it's happening so fast about like the way that you build, where it's like oh, I'm building a stairway in front of me, but I'm also building one. Uh, behind me and, and upwards so that at some point I can cross over it and hit the guy because I think he's going to be building in this direction. Yeah. And watching streamers play, you know, or watching like, I, I guess even just watching your enemies play in the way that they build around you, uh, it seems sort of chaotic. It's like, oh, you know, people are building with no rhyme or reason. And sometimes that is the case, but sometimes 
they're doing it in a very intelligent way that is maybe hard to verbalize. Uh huh. Hmm. That's a good game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I don't mean to say that like I wasn't having a great time in Florida, but uh, very expensive. Um, tolls everywhere. The tolls suck. Uh, the bugs are so, everywhere. The bugs suck. Okay, so how does Fortnite fit into that? Because you went to Fortnite and now you're in Florida. Okay. Is it I, because did you did you want to build like a wall around Florida? Like. What's the deal? <laughs> that wouldn't be bad. I wouldn't. I. I. I, I you know, if I if I had my way. Uh, we would build a, war- a wall around Florida and then no longer count their involvement in elections. Well, I don't think you're going to get that. Okay, well, that sucks. Uh, I just meant to cap it off because, like, I I had this big eight-day vacation, seven-day vacation, I guess, and uh, half of it I just complained, <laughs> half of the explanation of it I just complained about, about lines and money. Um, but you can you can continue Fortnite's your Fortnite. I, didn't wa- I just didn't want to leave on a sour note. No, it's fine. I mean, you brought it up. I'm, I'm just saying, though, you know, Fortnite is free. And if you don't like where you are in Fortnite, then you can drop somewhere else. And that's the magic of Fortnite. That is the magic of Fortnite. But I don't have much to say. I mean, the weapon that they introduced today is a uh, purple and orange, or rather a legendary and epic uh, burst assault rifle, which is good because previously the only assault rifle at that tier. Hold on. Sorry, my dog acted like he was going to throw up. Uh, but the only assault rifle at that uh, rarity is the SCAR, and now there's an alternative to that, and that is good. Okay, that's uh, good. That's Fortnite. we right. we got to keep it moving because we've got a lot to, to go over. Yeah, can I can I hit you with a list? Yeah, what do you got? Oh, you are we going to do a list up front? Go for it. I want to do the list up front just to, like, as an index, as, like, a – a uh to to show the listeners what we got on the on the palette this week um and then you can you know think about some of these things destiny warmind wizards of, wizard of legend black rose wars okay. M- millennium blades Meh. Rimworld. Yeah. okay post-human saga so that's what i got so far um post-human I, I am... saga yeah well what's that um, I don't know what that is. That should probably go in the more board gamey Kickstartery thing, or or if you want to just okay. jump into board games right now, because I, I I am pretty itching to hear about some Millennium Blades. I don't have a ton to say a, a, about Post Human Saga. I'm pretty interested in it. It is uh it is unfortunately at this point I have to say unfortunately a, another Kickstarter game, uh, another Kickstarter board game. It looks pretty cool. It kind of has some of that like. Uh, Borderlands charm of like a post-apocalyptic mutation kind of thing where you're fighting, but but it's also like you know cheeky. Um, the game plays out in kind of an interesting way with like uh, the the players not really interacting on the board, but like playing their own games, and then the main way that they interact is by like different Euro uh, game mechanic kind of things where they're uh per they're like uh there's like an economy and purchasing things uh so there's like a main hub that they're purchasing things from and that's kind of the main way they interact so they don't really interact on the outside and then the the game kind of plays out as you're uh placing tiles down the board starts off barren and you basically bid uh, on the center uh for other tiles um against other players 
and you when you get those tiles you are able to place them down and slowly you are able to make a map of your own um you have like a uh, quest that is uh hidden from other players and there's all this other stuff and all these story elements of of like being able to fight monsters or find uh friends and foes and stuff a lot going on huh yeah so it's an interesting little thing and it's uh very you know uh, it's like an interesting cross between uh, like Fallout as a board game, but with like Euro, uh, like you know, resource management and survival. So I, I just thought it was kind of so cool. It's it just another was... Kickstarter idea that no one can play yet, right? Yeah, like <clears throat> it does get hard at this point to start saying that much because. I'm also, like, so all in on Black Rose Wars, and I know you're in on Black Rose Wars and Imperial, so... Uh, I didn't back Black Rose Wars. You didn't? I didn't. I've got four days. That's a heel turn, but I think you will. Uh, there's so much that has come out for that game recently. Um, other new Except schools of magic. Except none of it's come out, am I right? What? Except none of it's come Except out. Except none of it's come out. Yeah, like, all, all this stuff planned, but uh, but it sounds really cool, like... Since the last time we talked, they launched uh, they or they they uh, have been talking about another expansion. So there's the Chrono expansion, and now there's the new uh, Inferno expansion. And the Inferno expansion just sounds really exciting because it adds a lot to the base game. Um, both of the expansions kind of do add to the base game and aren't necessarily like entirely uh, uh, you know expansion only like with with like expansion only mechanics. Uh, one of the cool things or like one of the main things about Black Rose Wars is, is that the uh, setup of the rooms is plays a huge uh, part in the game. Uh, they're randomized and you can play with whatever tiles you want or uh, and they're supposed to be randomized where they're placed or which ones you choose uh, or which ones you don't choose. So they can completely change the way the game works. And both the expansions, especially Inferno, come with a lot of uh new mechanics that can be just thrown into the base game uh into the you know traditional style of playing without playing with like chrono co-op-y things um new schools of magic and evocations and stuff i was i was excited because uh since the last time we talked about it they had now have a uh blood magic school uh which is always very exciting to me and a blood magic wizard along with a cool blood magic evocation uh they just announced a uh they they just finished uh kickstarting or unlocking uh all the bard schools so that i'm interested to see um it's just cool because like we've i've said before black black reservoirs uh every time that they add these new schools of magic it changes uh, it makes the game even more diverse and harder to ever really uh, get bored of, I guess, because every single hmm. time... What? It's almost like they're adding new decks. Yeah, like, the, it, it since it's kind of like a deck-building game, and since you're uh, pulling from Schools of Magic, adding more Schools of Magic makes, like, more potential combinations or win conditions or strategies and... All that's really exciting. Uh, yeah. All the like the well, new stuff is really exciting. What if I told you that there were a game? There was a game where you build a deck, and it's out now, and you can play it. And there's 52 different uh, expansions that go into it. 
52 flavors i didn't uh, i know what game you're talking about but 52 expansions sounds wild for a game that like so it's not expansion so so let me let me tell you a little bit about millennium blades so in the last two weeks since you've recorded uh i have really thought about nothing else but millennium blades and it is a it is a game about collectible card games where you pay you play as a collectible card game player who's buying trading and selling cards and then building a deck and competing in a tournament of millennium blades the game within the game and when you're assembling what's available to you in the game of millennium blades uh you're choosing four expand like uh five expansions three promos uh three mastery sets, and then a number of bronze, silver, and gold promos out of a pool of 52 different sets. Each set with its own sort of different strategies uh, that combines with other sets to sort of make this wonderful engine building, deck building combo situation. That's all economy driven from the stage where you're building, selling, and trading your cards with other players um one quick one quick question um so for the expansions you almost made it sound like they don't necessarily like tie into the main game but they're more of like a flavor on the side of like uh you played the game once with all these basic with 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 the the cards that came with it and now here's a new set of cards that like so changes when I say 52 expansions yeah it's a little confusing because i'm not actually talking about expansions for millennium blades the the card game the board game i'm talking about expansions for millennium blades the card game within the board game Mm -hmm. no that's what i mean like how does that affect it like do they all work in the same time and you're like uh throwing them the card the new cards into the pool or are you playing with sets so the way that it works is you have a you're you assemble a store deck at the beginning of the game so when you assemble the store deck, you're taking all of the core cards, which are always in every single game, and then you're you're selecting five expansions, four promos, and th- and uh, three mastery sets together, and then that becomes the store deck, okay. of which you will buy cards from. Okay. But but you actually start off, you select a character, and every the game comes with eight default characters or no six default characters and the set rotation expansion which i purchased comes with another four uh so 10 in total and they each have their own deck building power and their own tournament power so there's sort of two stages of the game one of which is where you're assembling your deck and then the other stage where you're competing in the tournament and each character has uh different abilities for both of those So when you start off the game, you actually start off with a starter deck of which there are six and the six uh, are sort of about the different elements in the game and they each have sort of their own win conditions. And if you're playing the game for the first time, what you do is you do a pre-release tournament where you start off the game by only playing with those starter decks. And that sort of lets you understand the way that the tournament works a little better so that when you get to the deck building phase, you're a little bit smarter about how you can evaluate cards. Okay. So the way that the actual card game plays out is players take turns placing 
sort of cards in their tableau, sort of placing a card on the field and the cards will have different effects where they might um, immediately award you points or they will clash with an enemy and then you guys sort of have to uh, fight in, in a sort of randomized battle or it will do effects based on the different cards that are currently on the board in, in sort of combo-y ways. There's all of these different uh, sort of effects that can happen, but I, but I feel like the rules are actually uh, pretty clear and that makes the game exciting. But but I, but I think that, that one thing that's also fascinating is when you get a card that's more complicated that is very powerful, the way that that's sort of, there's a push and pull there. And that's because when you're deck building, you're actually doing it in real time. So when you're looking at a card, it, it, it becomes difficult to look at the card and immediately assess the value of, is this card good? How do I include it in my deck? Because you're on a time limit, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and the game is as much about um, managing your thought process and, and sort of thinking efficiently as well as it is what is your overall strategy. So, for example, and, and just to sort of give you an idea of a deck that I played is I, I found this really cool setup where I had this gnome card. And what the gnome card did, does is when the gnome card dies, he kills the card that's to the left of him, uh, your card. He kills your card that is to the left of him. And based on that card's power level, it multiplicatively gives you a score value. So what I did is I took this really powerful card uh, that, that was essentially had no special effects, except it just had a really high power level. Then I put the gnome next to him. And then next to that, I put a card that kills the card to its left and then gives you a score based on it. So essentially, I built this domino effect of cards that would kill each other. And, and then by the end of the game, I had a completely empty board. And the last card that I slammed down was at the scoring phase, get additional points for every dead card on your field. Hmm. So that's sort of the, the strategy that I went for. And the thing that was interesting about it was that none of the cards were actually from the same expansion. Like they were all from different, uh, like, uh, sets in the game that all have their own sort of win conditions, but I piled them together and made this really cool and effective deck that I scored a ton of points with. Like I blew the competition out the water. So it's like that thing where Blizzard wants to do with Hearthstone and never can succeed where the new sets uh, add to strategies in the old sets and make a card that would maybe say like kill the card next to it, which is kind of bad, uh, more interesting. Yeah. And, and you know what else is interesting is that the Millennium Blades that you're playing in the board game is not a one-to-one -one translation of what the Millennium Blades card game in the universe is. So one thing that's interesting is that when you crack open a pack, you're actually only taking the rare from that pack. So uh, the card back for every card in the game is a booster pack. And the idea is that you would toss out most of the commons and that you would only keep the rare card. You know what I mean? Yeah, I really like that. I had heard that. Because uh, when I first heard about this, I literally thought of it as like tearing open booster packs, which would have been really cool in its own way. But I I, I, I still see what they've done there and appreciate it uh, just, just to like almost make a joke of like, you know, there's only one card in every booster pack anyway. Yeah, so the idea is that there's actually like 10 cards in a booster pack. 
but that you have a you one of your cards it's an accessory that you keep with you is called a deck box and the deck box is supposed to be the amalgamation of all the common cards in your in your tableau and it sort of is your win condition in a way so your your deck box might have an effect like for every water card in your tableau gain 5 victory points or the one that i had was uh, if you add up the sum of sum of power in in your tableau and compare it to a card in your hand if the card in your hand is stronger than the cards in your tableau gain a ton of points so my strategy was kill everything in my tableau so that the one card in my hand will be stronger than everything in my tableau uh-huh so that that idea of that deck box is sort of the amalgamation it's the it's the theme of your deck. It defines the theme and it, it is the, it's the concept of common cards in a, in a deck of a competitive card game. Okay. Um, one thing that I don't really exactly know is like, how does the, uh, like tournament work? Are you playing against an AI? No. Well, you compete against other people. Okay. So other people playing, playing their decks but how are, are but you like, under the impression that this is cooperative no um i just don't know like what what is the amount of players you need to play and if you're playing a tournament like what do you do you play multiple rounds against the same player like how do you simulate playing against multiple people on the way to the top rather than just having one fight you, against another player you all play at the same time and you're sort of so and it's not a best two of three either well so the way that scoring works in this game is that you're not actually only scoring based on winning tournaments because the point of the game isn't to simply win tournaments. It's to become a world-renowned Millennium Blades player. So there's actually more than one win condition. You also gain points based on collections. So when you're in the deck building phase, uh, you can get points from building sets of cards that have commonality between them. So if you, you, you build a collection of cards that are all like fire-based or they're all soldiers or citizens, then you get victory points for that. You get victory points for the placement that you make in tournaments, and you also get victory points for the friendships that you make with other players through trades. Okay. So there's actually more than one way to win the game. You could technically win through collections, and different characters have different things that they're good at and bad at. Some characters are really good at collecting, good at deck collecting, and certain characters are good at different parts of tournament play, such as battling other players or the aspect of being able to hold more cards in your tableau and, and be able to sort of make bigger combos that way. Some characters are based on friendship, and that's where they, they are good at. You know, it, it's interesting because there's no one, there's more than one strategy. It's not just about winning the tournament. Yeah. And that makes sense, though. That's, like, also a, a kind of a thing that is true for other games. We've seen it with Hearthstone, where there are players like Raynat, who is, like, he was a pretty good player, but he was more than that, like, intelligent at, like, deck design and uh, stuff like that. So he created a bunch of really popular decks, and he didn't necessarily pilot them to victory in tons of tournaments, but he got famous off of his like metagame intelligence and he was able to boost himself into 
being like popular enough and making enough money to own a team and then make more money off of that. So it's kind of like an interesting thing where uh, you don't have to be the best at just playing a card game or doing something yeah. to be the most popular, to be the best or to get the most out of it. You know what I mean? I mean, the king of Fortnite is Ninja and Ninja's a great player, but it's impossible to say that Ninja is the best player. Some of the best players might be members of TSM, uh, but Ninja's the king, right? Because Ninja has strengths in other places where he's got his stream and his stream is sort of what drives, uh, you know, his, his cash. I mean, yeah. simply put it, it drives his cash. He is the undisputed like king of Fortnite. When you think of Fortnite players, you think of Ninja and it's not because he's the best. It's because he is the most popular and makes the most money. And that's another way to, <laughs> which is another way to, to be, to, to be an undisputed, like, like a uh, champion of something, right? Like, and that's another thing that's represented in the game. So that's kind of cool that, that it's a CCG, it's a CCG simulation game that kind of takes into account that winning the tournament is not the end all be all, even though it would seem like it would be. Yeah. So Millennium Blades is sort of like a cult hit, but it is pretty the audience is kind of small and and that's sort of tough for me because i'm at this state where i can't just sit down and play it because it requires other people so instead i'm looking to devour all of the content about uh, millennium blades that i can and it's 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 tough when something that you really like just isn't popular so there's very little discussion on it and there's very little like content being produced about it you know, yeah, that is really frustrating. expansion comes out this year and people start talking about it again. Yeah. Uh, it also is like one of the big reasons why uh, more games having uh, more board games, having a solo mode is really important to me because uh, I, if I get that urge to play and, and there's no one around me that can play it, I kind of appreciate the fact that like Black Rose Wars unlocks a solo mode because then I can play and discover things and get some of the feeling of playing um without having to have someone there and or having yeah, to have I, other people be it. interested in it in the um expansion that i bought for millennium blades which is crazy because i didn't play the base game but now i own the expansion i there is a there's a boss fight mode so i could check that out solo and that'll be cool and you know millennium blades is also completely available on tabletop simulator as is imperial oh yeah which is not even out yet but they're doing that pretty often i have i have got to get into that because the value seems great i'm waiting for the steam sale what about you do you think you could get into some tabletop simulator absolutely um i know that there is i don't know if there's a gloomhaven but i know that there's a monster uh kingdom death monster there is there is Gloomhaven, yeah, community built. And there's also VR compatibility. Ooh. Where you could just sit at the table and, uh, you know, have it right in front of you. Maybe you could even use the hand controllers to flip cards. Hmm. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about Kingdom Death. I actually played Kingdom Death today, uh, which was a good... Like, today was an so awesome long? day because today was my first full day back. So I got to really do more of the stuff that... I need to do as like a really introverted person to like spend time just I know quietly. What you mean. Yeah. And just and like reading stuff and playing video games and 
Uh, so and tomorrow I, I'm, I'm going to rip you away from that because we're going to get together and play some board games. I know. That's very exciting. Um, should I bring Citadels really quick? Maybe we bring, maybe you bring Citadels. Maybe we play a quick game of Citadels or a quick game of Splendor. And then we move to Millennium Blades. I want to play more Blood Rage. That's something worth talking about, I guess, on the podcast because we hadn't talked about it before. I liked Blood Rage. I thought that that was a pretty solid game. I don't know. So I, I have a weird relationship. Oh, and I could talk to you about a different game that I played. But I, I have a weird relationship with drafting. And I understand the purpose of drafting, and I understand why drafting is in games. Uh, so for those who don't know, drafting is, and this is something that that is in, I, I think, Magic and other card games as well, but it's when each player is dealt a hand of cards, you take one of the cards, and then you pass the rest of them uh, to your opponent. And the thing that makes that interesting is that uh, if you know your opponent is going for a certain strategy, like maybe your opponent really loves ships, uh, you, you could sort of make a make a decision. Do I want to uh, pick something for myself, or do I want to pick something that will hurt my affect opponent. my opponent? And and one problem that I have, and it's a problem that I have in every single game, is I go all in on one thing every time. And whenever there's the chance for player interaction, I'm always the one who bears the brunt of it because my strategy is never discreet. I always do something stupid and flashy and very, very obvious. So in Blood Rage, when there was an opportunity to go all in on one strategy, I took it and it fell apart because I am stupid about drafting. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about Blood Rage. So uh, I also want to talk a little bit more about Space Base, but because um, uh, oh, yeah. this is another thing that we... And Santa Maria, which neglect... I played this week. Oh, really? I had heard good things about that, but I don't really know much about it. Uh, so Blood Rage is kind of one of those uh, board game geek darlings, like high up on the the top rated board games of all time a on that website. Game. It's a Kickstarter a game. Kickstarter game. Um, it is a, there is a lot to like about it. Uh, it is uh, tons of, it's a minis, tons of very hot minis. So there you go. Um, it's pretty simple. I think it's like actually what, like one of the great things about it is that it combines, a, like as far as a lot of war games go, it combines a lot of complicated elements into very simple things to make it so that it's more of like, it's the, uh, it's like the Hearthstone version of uh, the war games, like Magic: The Gathering, if that makes any sense. Where, where like there aren't like ra it's it's pretty short and simple if everyone knows what they want to do um, or knows how to play the game. Uh, basically, there are uh, you have this board uh, game, you have this map where it is comprised of all these different uh, places in like North mythology. Uh, with Yggdrasil at the center, uh, all these different Norse Norse uh, regions uh, of their mythology, like uh, Jotunheim and Helheim, all these other things. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, you, as a player, you have uh, you you have control over a uh, unit, a band of Vikings that all play the exact same uh, to other players. It's only aesthetic differences. Um, and you, 
start off the game by drafting a uh, a deck a hand of cards uh the way what you were talking about before where uh the deck is the 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 there is a deck for the first age the second age and the third age uh the game is played in three full rounds and you basically draft a uh you 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 get all these cards uh given to you you pick one and then you give it over to the other player and slowly by the end of the time uh, goes down. You have a hand of six, I believe. Um, it doesn't matter. So uh, then you begin the game by kind of like placing these units down, and you have like you know very little resources to do anything. And I think that's kind of smart the way that uh, there that everything costs a lot of resources, so that it kind of runs out the timer because the age ends when uh, every region gets pillaged, which is something you can do. Or every player runs out of rage, which is like the main like energy mechanic. Uh, doing things typically costs rage, uh, so you're like upgrading troops, uh, like launching the, your leader, your ships, uh, 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 drafting minions and monsters and stuff to fight for you, uh, putting the, your uh, colored uh, bottom cap, uh, like uh, what minifig like bottom protector thing on it to claim it and then uh moving your units about to take over areas and and pillage um there's like a glory um that is the main uh the main number like the the victory point basically that wins the game uh and there's many ways to get glory within the cards winning battles against other players while you're pillaging or um finally uh the last thing that happens in an age is uh, Ragnarok, and it uh, a meteor destroys a region, making the world a little bit smaller. But any of your units that die in that region uh, give you victory points based on their strength. So that is another way to gain glory. Uh, so yeah. there's some different, there's some cool different um, strategies that arise with like how you uh, interact with the other players. Uh, we have. Yeah, we- well, let's let's not get too deep in the weeds, though. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I had a lot of fun. I had played it the first time with three players. Uh, I had a real lot of fun when we were playing with four players, but unfortunately one of the people we were playing with had to drop out to go to sleep. Um, that's fine. Um, it didn't last so long, but he just got too tired and had work the next day. Um, and that kind of screwed up a lot of things. So we were having like a, I felt like we were having a good game. Uh, this is the kind of game where I think that like, this is the kind of game that would be more and more fun as you play with players, the same players. Uh, I think the game is hampered by players not playing well or uh, by uh, players not understanding the game that well. Because as you start to understand the game, you can understand why mechanics work the, the way they do and how interesting it is, like how unit placement and how everything can kind of lead to these, like, uh, like, you know, the height of board games is like that looking one of the height of one of the great things about board games is like looking around the table and kind of like staring at the placement of all the units and thinking like, is this player going to screw me over if I do something? And like, what are my options right now? And like, will I get retaliated against if I do that? If I pill could, because if, if, uh, when you try to pillage an area, which is a big kind of thing about the game, uh, you get a big reward for doing it. Uh, enemy players that have units adjacent to that uh, region can bring their troops in, and then that's how a fight happens. And 
uh, it kind of makes it really interesting because you you have to really like look around the table and think like, do they want that fight? Can they win that fight? What are the cards in their hand? Are they going to be stronger because of it? Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things about it. Uh, I feel like it's a really elegant game. Um, it's really easy to wrap your head around and to explain to people. And I think that once it all makes sense, uh, it, it is a really nice little war game. Like it, it really, it, it really does a lot with a little, you know, I, I guess one of my issues with it though, is I feel like, and you know, this is completely wrong by the way, that once you've played the game, once you've sort of seen everything that there is to see, obviously to contradict myself, you can't play a couple games of CSGO and say, okay, I've seen everything there is to see in CSGO because I went to all the maps. It doesn't work that way. But part of me feels like so many board games have so many random elements that you can't possibly see everything at once. Usually they have this excess of content uh, to which you could not possibly see everything. But maybe there's a benefit to having games that you don't need to play a hundred times to witness everything in it. I mean, I have a couple things to respond. Um, first of all, I would say that uh, Blood Rage is more on that chess side of things, where instead of getting replay value from uh, random elements or elements that may not see play the first you know, 10, 20 times you even play it, uh, I think that Blood Rage is more about knowing what is there and being able to play around it. Like and CSGO. It, yeah, like you're saying, like, like it, it is, it is more on that style of game. It is, it is not a game that that I think uh, will surprise you uh, with new elements from time to time. But I think it is the kind of game that, like, as you're playing it, the excitement comes from uh, understanding the mechanics and then the mechanics being basically laid out for you and uh knowing what is available like i could imagine the game being actually almost better uh if a group of like four super good players were playing the game and they knew every card in each of the ages to the point where like they they knew from like what cards are missing as the the hands come around the table with like what players might have what like what it like the scary cards that are uh, for like fighting, like who is going to go for a more fighting and pillaging style or who is drafting minions and going for that kind of thing. Uh, because so much can happen in the game that I think it really is more about like each move you, you do will slowly make the game similar to chess. Like each move you do slowly makes the game unique and, and like creates new unique situations. So it's not going to be like, like it, it, it is like, it is kind of a bummer though. Like I, I do get what you mean. And with the board games we've been playing and with, with our uh, kind of like knowledge of board games, we kind of, I, I do kind of understand, or I do, I do understand uh, that, that uh, kind of craving uh, all these elements that might not see play many times or all these random elements to the point where like playing a game once is like, you know, it doesn't feel like you even played it because it feels like you want to get in, jump into the next round. Like when you play Clank, uh, there are so many cards that you won't even see. There's so many strategies you won't see. Uh, there are strategies you can go for, but not get a card, not have something available for you. And there's a lot to want to make, a lot that would make you want to play again. 
Uh, whereas in Blood Rage, once you've kind of played the three ages, uh, there is a you know set amount of cards in the game. Uh, I think each time you do the draft, you uh, other than taking away cards because. There's a specific amount of cards that have to go around the table in everyone's hand. Playing with three or four players puts more cards into the pool, but it puts an, an equal number into the pool to the point where uh, once you shuffle uh, the the a hand of like six, the first starting hand of six before players start picking their cards and drafting, uh, you have two cards that are randomly face down that you that won't be played that game. Uh, and because of that, it means that you're basically seeing like every card. If you play the first, if you play through a full game of Blood Rage, then especially with four players, uh, you will have seen like in large part every card in the game. Uh, that doesn't mean that you'll see all the strategies or all the interesting interactions that can happen or the different like, you know, moments of looking around the table, seeing what do they want to do? What am I going to do? Uh, like that kind of stuff. It just means that like the elements of the game are pretty well known, pretty st- like pretty standard throughout each playthrough. And the that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and As like we kind- said, it's not a bad thing. And kind of like the the uniqueness of every game comes from that whole drafting section. It comes from like who gets what, how they place their units, uh, whether or not they try and spread out and fight for a lot of and get really scrappy for a lot of different areas or whether they centralize. And I think that's like the thing that makes it really interesting uh, is that when uh, you see these like multiplayer games uh, or or when you see like a three or four player game of Blood Rage and people have kind of uh, like centralized their power, it gets to be this insane thing where like a, a kind of like this this scary war thing, this scary like war example of like, who does something first and how will it happen? And like, if I do this, will they threaten me? And you see what kind of power they have on the board, but what kind of power they have in their hand. I think that's kind of like the interesting thing in blood rage is like, is like thinking about all the possibilities when you start building up that board and players start putting the, 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 the minis down, then you get this really interesting thing of like centralized power and who's going to do what and who's going to go where and where am I safe and what what are the safest options and what are the you know risky but big good plays and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool game. I've, I I I feel like I want to play it. Like I feel like it's the kind of thing where I could play it another like ten times. And as long as I played it with like people who knew it and I and I wasn't exp- uh, explaining it to them, I would get my money's worth and be happy with it and like be able to set it aside. And it's not necessarily that uh, Kingdom Death or Gloomhaven or, you know, Space Base or something where, like, you can keep replaying it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Space Base? Yeah, I mean, Space Base seems like something where you could play it a a, a million times and still not see all the crazy stuff that can happen. So we played Space Base recently. I think it was actually the same day that we played Blood Rage. It was. Uh, So Space Base is a game that people compare a lot to Machi Koro but I haven't played Machi Koro, so I don't really understand that comparison. What I do know is that in Space Base, uh, it's a dice rolling game where you roll two dice, and then based on the outcome of that dice roll, uh, you get stuff. So you get money or you get victory points, and sort of the, the point of the game is, like most games, to get the most victory points. The first one to 40 ends the game. So... One thing that I really like about Space Base is that as you gain money and you buy new ships, what you're doing with your old ships is you're 
uh, setting them up to gain you income on your opponent's turns. So you're sort of building an engine that is always online, even on your opponent's turns. And that's very cool because it means that the game has very little downtime. Essentially, there's no time to grab a snap, a snack because you're always focused on every dice roll, even the ones that aren't yours. And it is in some ways uh, an engine builder or a deck builder, but still with that random element. But you're, it's, a, it's a game where you're always making choices because on every dice roll, uh, let's say that you roll a dice and one ran, lands on a four and one rolls on a three. So as a player, you can either take the income from the four and the three, or you can combine it into the seven. And there are times when it might not be very easy to know or, or, you know, very clear, like it's like, oh, I get one money or I get three money, so this one's better. But sometimes you're choosing, do I want victory points or do I want income? Like, which one is going to be more important for me for the strategy I'm running? Mm-hmm. What did you think of Space Base? I thought it was really cool and really elegant. Like, uh, you really, it is the kind of thing where you have to see it in action a couple times, like play a couple rounds and start seeing the things. Uh, there's a lot of cards that have like a symbol on it that don't, because the cards are tiny, so they don't really explain like what it it's saying it's going to do without someone who is a good ambassador for it or without constantly looking up the rule book. Um, and then there's some like weird, interesting, uh, unique interactions there that like it's important to look through the rule book or you know like once again have a good ambassador for it um i i really like i i i really like that whole element of being able to do things on your opponent's turn because uh it, it, you know engine simulators uh give people that sense of like that that almost like weirdly satisfying exciting sense of like uh efficiency of like having every of like you know, intelligently building out in such a way to be the most efficient. And this game, I think, really does it really well. Um, I, I love the way that it's it, that you're like you're always active, you're always online. Like once you start buying those cards and setting up the other cards to uh, be affecting during your opponent's turn, you get to the point in the game like pretty quickly where uh, every time a dice is rolled, you you, you like you have to look at it and then you even on your own on your not on your own term have to make like interesting decisions and i i really like that it makes it so that like you're never frustrated with like you're not necessarily ever frustrated with like your rolling and not getting a great roll or not getting a great roll works for you uh and then saying like oh now they're gonna go and then they're gonna go and uh, it's gonna be a while before i play again like you're always active and that's fun like that's really unique and and interesting uh it's definitely the kind of thing where like i i would love to see it i I would love to play it more or see like really good players play it and see how they do it uh i i feel like it's on that level of like dominion almost where where people can play like 10 billion hours of dominion and want to keep going because Every game is unique, but still has uh, a high amount of like strategy and intelligence in it. So there's a lot of good stuff about space. I wonder space. if that's how Dom- like uh, Dominion players feel. I don't actually know how people feel after a hundred hours of Dominion. I mean, I think that the Dominion has those players. Dominion has those people who play like Dominion online and just constantly, constantly play it. The online Dominion is pretty solid. Is that a standalone kind of thing, or is that with uh, tabletop? 
Uh, no, they have like a website where you can go and de- just play Dominion and it's free, but you have to pay for expansions. Okay. So is this the part where we talk about video games? I guess we could. Um, I have been playing Wizard of Legend. That's a new game. came out for Steam and Switch. Yeah. Uh, man, that is a really cool game. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Hyperlight uh, because it has a similar aesthetic. It has a similar, like, pixel art uh, with, like, a better detail, like, not blocky characters, uh, and then, like, very well animated. So it, it has, like, a lot of you know, like interesting visceral combat. It's that kind of thing where where the gameplay feels amazing and like hitting with stuff or dashing around super fast feels incredible to play, but you can't really super well explain it. Um, you uh, basically start off by being someone who is in a like museum for these magician like mad mages. And you're looking at it like the way that that like magic works in this world or the way that they talk about magic and that like magic is basically in these arcana cards and there's tons of them. And what at the end of going through this museum, uh, you this relic calls out to you and teleports you uh, to this big uh, trial that is happening in the like capital city uh, that that is like an invite only trial for mages uh and then from then on uh from what i've seen there is a you know hub world and then you go into a roguelike style dungeon that is randomly generated uh against like randomly generated enemies and stuff like that uh where you are trying to from what i can see nine floors uh okay or maybe yeah maybe uh yeah nine floors uh, two floors of enemies and then one major boss uh, and then you have to do that uh, you have to win nine floors without dying to complete the nine floors without dying uh, so far I'm finding that pretty hard I have beaten the first boss the bosses are randomized the first major boss uh, the bosses are randomized uh, there's three of them that I can see and I got the fire one on the ta- on the uh, run that I beat that boss um and whenever you die you are reset back out and you can spend your money and earnings and stuff from the uh world or from the the trial on more spells you are like creating a character where you have a basic attack spell a dashing spell a like burst spell a standard spell or or like a, a a burst spell and a signature spell and then as you're going along in the dungeon, you can also pick up other spells that will either slot in over the spells you already have or add to more, like being giving you even more spells. Um, yeah, th- so the thing that makes this different from most roguelikes is that you're actually choosing your kit. So sort of the variety in this game comes from you making different choices about how you send your character in. Uh, one of the drawbacks I've heard about this game is actually just that there's not a lot of variety in terms of the levels, so sort of the tile sets. It doesn't seem like it. That 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 is a that is an interesting thing thing to say because it does seem like I'm seeing the exact same places over and over again, even when they're in the different because uh, the bosses, depending on which one you're going to, like there's the earth, the ice, and the fire bosses. 
And if you're fighting, like, whatever one first, so, like, for example, I fought the fire one first on the run that I uh, killed her, um, you're supposed to go through, like, two fire dungeons first, but they don't really look all that different from the other ones, and the tile sets kind of seem the same, so there's, like, almost seems like essentially, like, maybe two tile sets per type, and there's two, and there's three types, so maybe, like, six different tile sets. So that does seem kind of worrisome. Like, the game, the the strength of the game or, like, the uh, replayability would probably come from uh, all the, the tons of different spells and how they kind of weave together and how well the game plays. Like, it is a... I, I, I was reading a review that kind of mentioned, uh, compared it to, like, Avatar The Last Airbender, like, mage fighting, like, martial art, like, mag- magical martial arts, and... Uh, that is a great, uh, uh, that's a great example. That's a great, like, analogy, kind of, because, uh, as a mage, instead of kind of the way you might think about mages in traditional bo- uh, board games or video games, where, or video games especially, where you are basically, like, very resource-reliant and, uh, you're powerful, but, uh, weaken over time with the use of mana, um, to the point of like not being able to do anything in this game, you have no mana. Um, you just have like, you like your stuff. Yeah. You're just, you just doing you stuff. Problems. You're, you're like, instead of having a sword or something, you're, you're like throwing out, uh, water balls or, uh, projecting fire from your hands or shooting a lightning bolt. And, uh, instead of like just dashing or something like you're, you know, making, uh, a frost, uh, clone or fire and stuff like that. So, there are cooldowns. There are like very small cooldowns, like generally like five to one, two or two second cooldowns uh, for some of the things that aren't like the basic or dash abilities. Um, but you're never like managing resources. Uh, you're more managing cooldowns, which makes the game uh, really fast paced. Uh, you're not like you know scrounging around for mana. Um, and the the diversity with the spells seems fantastic. Uh, there are tons and tons of spells like in the game. 130 spells, which is a lot. Yeah, like that. That so. Thank you for having that on hand because there there already seems like a ridiculous amount of spells. But it, it's it's kind of like you said. It's a, it like that's the kind of scary thing is like, um, you don't with roguelikes. You want to always start to you always want to play it again to see the new crazy stuff. And then it's almost like we were talking about before, where where a good roguelike is something where it, there's so many random elements to the point where you can't really see everything the first time and you have to play it tons of times to see the way things work out or to to, to see what's available in the game and it kind of does worry me a little bit to be have played for 70 minutes and then already feel like oh well in all my failed runs i've been on each of the maps already and i fought like almost all the enemies in the game i just haven't fought all the bosses or beat all the bosses and as i go on like it's just gonna be mean like you know instead of dying like be- beating a boss and then continuing on to the next room of a tile set that I've already seen before. Uh, so lots of good stuff. Feels great to play. Uh, great variety in combat and very like action heavy and uh like tough as nails kind of like players who love to you know, like almost Devil May Cry style where you like, if you love to like dash around and combo and 
like put together like an equipment set of these of this magic you'll have a blast but the actual like yeah like there's not a lot of variety in the actual thing you're doing uh because i don't know if there's anything after being able to complete this trial uh and beating all three of the major bosses but uh you know that is a little worrisome that, that like the tile sets are so bland and easy to see yeah, but, but but i assume that you'll get your money's worth yeah it's not i think it was like 15 dollars on steam and i'm in, and i'm definitely enjoying it a lot you can also play it co-op yeah that's pretty cool that's a pretty cool thing for a roguelike like, I will like have it, with I that i'll have it on switch yeah uh so i played some RimWorld. Uh, I played like an hour of RimWorld. Um, I didn't really get to kind of the cool stuff, but you'll be a better speaker on it. So RimWorld is sort of a game that a lot of people uh, compare to Dwarf Fortress. It's a game about building a colony and surviving when things go awry. And things seem to always go awry in RimWorld because there is a sort of AI narrator uh, to the game, there are different AI, AI narrators you could choose from that will sort of make the story different. Uh, some of them ramp the difficulty up. Some of them are very peaceful and only introduce like light problems. And then some of them are just totally chaotic and and just you know batshit. Just anything happens at any time, whatever. Bad things can happen nonstop. You could have an entire year where nothing goes on, whatever. Uh, so I, I guess one of the cool things about RimWorld is it sort of reminds me of Darkest Dungeon, where you get these, you randomly roll these characters and they all have these quirks. And no matter what, they can never be perfect. So a character might be might be super strong, but then they are a coward and they are afraid to fight something. Or I I have a character who they just really want a bionic limb and they're never gonna feel happy. Like there's always gonna be this like problem with their with their feelings and their needs until they finally get a bionic limb we all have that uh but but i i think that the interesting thing is is sort of that the world is a sandbox for emerging narratives to occur so i i there's sort of like this relationship these relationships that are forming in my different uh settlers and and so far like i started off with three settlers uh, a raider tried to attack my base and we blew off one of their limbs and now they really want a bionic limb. Uh, but that we, we kept them as a prisoner. And then one of my characters is a recruiter. So they were actually able to talk this person into joining us. But then the recruiter fell in love with the prisoner and the prisoner was like, no, fuck off. And actually fell in love with the chef. Of our of our colony, so it was like this weird love triangle, and also I, there's just so much like weird shit going on. Like uh, the the prisoner was really into animals and loves animals, so every time that a boar comes near the base, uh, there the boar gets tamed. And now I sort of have this pack of boars, where whenever anything attacks me, there's just this pack of boars that's unleashed that that comes in attacks things but because of the fact that uh my settlers have this affinity with animals uh it's causing troubles in the winter time because we don't kill animals as much and then uh we don't have the resources necessary to make warmer clothes so my researcher who happens to be a psychopath is currently 
looking into plants that we can grow to increase our our sort of cold weather resistance. And that's what's going on. And and there's so much weird shit in the game that I don't know about yet. Like one of my characters has an affinity for like has a sensitivity to psychic resonance. So whenever psychic events occur, they have like they're more affected by it and I don't know what that means yet. There's also this huge and massive world map that I haven't explored any of. So I don't know what's going to happen when my characters start moving out of the colony once the weather gets nicer and, and I start to see the rest of the world. This game seems like it could last me for a very, very long time. And it's sort of one of the games that you can play in the background. You just pause whenever you want. So I'm playing Fortnite. I I die. I requeue, And while I'm waiting in queue, I just... Uh, play RimWorld for a bit. Then when I get into another round, I pause it. Hmm. Yeah, I need to play more of that. And that's Cuz I didn't really get to is... any of the kind of more emergent gameplay. I was just I did the tutorial killed a raider and like nothing that wild is happening. Well, yeah, not in the in the tutorial, of course not. I mean, it's uh, I I got for like I got it a while after the tutorial, um but nothing that wild had occurred yet. So the game is still in early access, but I think that the next patch will be the 1.0 patch. Okay. <clears throat> so maybe when the 1.0 patch comes out, that will motivate you to get back into it. I'm not really out of it, but... All right. Yeah. Well, good. Um, is that RimWorld? Yeah. All right, well, I've been playing Destiny Warmind. Why? Because I had it already, because I bought the uh, digital edition that gave me all the um expansion the next two expansions so uh it was free um i mean not really free but like i had already bought it so i may as well play it uh also uh there were tons of changes to destiny overall in the last couple months uh bungie trying to win back the fan base um it's interesting uh i am liking warmind actually uh, I am like playing it a lot and I feel like there's a lot to do and I'm having a lot more fun than I was with destiny two. Um, that doesn't seem to be the public consensus. Uh, well, I, I, I certainly feel like it. Like, I don't think that everything like it, it, it's interesting to play it because they, uh, at least for the campaign of Warmind and, uh, playing, you know, destiny two overall right now. It feels a little bit better. The campaign is pretty good. Um, you know, not long. It's pretty... Everyone should know what a... If you know Destiny, you should know what a Destiny expansion contains. That's like a, you know, two and a half a to three hour story. Raid. What? A brand new raid? Um, nope. Uh, a raid layer. Hmm. But I think those are as, are basically as long as raids anyway. Um, but I, I don't know anything about that. Uh, the... What do you uh, know about the, the strength? What? What do you know about the strikes? I haven't played the strikes, but I do know that they are the, uh, you know, increasingly Bungie falling back on like their good story uh, modes that that like like when when you're playing the the two and a half to like four hour whatever uh, campaign edition for each expansion, uh, there's usually like one or two of the the individual missions that have a boss in it. So what Bungie does is they just make a strike out of that boss and that mission. So you replay basically that mission with other players and then you fight a harder version of that boss. And that's pretty lame uh, because 
you know, they used to, or even in Destiny 1, we kind of expected more that they would do, you know, unique experiences for strikes rather than just make taking a uh, existing, like, story mission thing and then uh, remixing it and calling it a strike. Um, so that's a problem. Uh, the the uh, world, the new uh, area added, the new, like... Um, what is it? What do they call it? Uh, like, you know, free roam Planet. area is called is is Mars. Um, it's not like the Mars that was in Destiny One. Um, it's not it has nothing really to do with that. Uh, it's more of like a snowy area of Mars, um, and it's pretty interesting. It's not like it's somewhere in between. It's like it's closer to like the Dreadnought than it is to the last area that they added uh, on Mercury, the horrible, horrible, tiny, like, minuscule little area that was supposed to be, like, a bigger addition and, like, a bigger free roam area that was basically just a hub that had, like, one event in it. Um, So it's a little bit bigger. There's a little bit more content than they released with the last expansion, um, which is, I guess good but it's also a low bar uh the yeah i bought both and i haven't played either yeah um i mean th- there would be stuff like it wouldn't be a terrible thing to play because you'd have you know those two uh th- those two expansions to go on and that would give you a lot of time and then uh the game overall feels a lot better like the 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 bungie has made improvements they had a go fast update that i didn't really play anything of until now where they uh, reworked some of the talent trees, changed some of the stuff around, like balanced uh, everything. Made the uh, they made a lot of the individual talents more interesting. Uh, they made the jumping uh, more different between more different and unique between the classes to make the classes kind of feel a di- bit different. They changed uh, a lot of things about like armor stats and how they affect the character. Um, they did a before this expansion, they did a massive sandbox change where they. Uh, you know, reworked tons of the really bad exotics, and they also did across-the-board buffs on basically every single weapon type. So the game plays, uh, like, a little bit differently and in a, in a really good way where uh, it's faster and it's, it's closer to Destiny 1 in, like, you know, being able to move around a little bit faster, having lower cooldowns uh, on everything so you're able to, you know, throw more grenades or use more of your class ability and melee more and uh and super more and because of that like it's less just like what it felt like in the beginning of destiny 2 which is more like call of duty where every once in a while you build up like a little special ability um the guns feel better the exotics which were previously extremely boring uh feel a little bit better so the game has like just a little bit yeah like because i can't i can't say that this is going to be like that, that anything yet or anything that'll even happen this year is going to be the end all thing. Like I want to like destiny. I, I don't, I, I don't even, I actually don't even know if that statement is true anymore. Like I used to love destiny so much, but the amount of times that Bungie has let me down, it like makes me almost not want to like destiny. And, uh, with these updates, they've been under fire for so long and they're kind of finally reacting to things and finally changing things. But it does, it, it still kind of scares the hell out of me that like there's this massive studio 
that has the the power of Activision behind it and the money of Activision behind it, and yet they it takes them this long to like address balance changes. Like the the changes we're seeing now to uh, making the weapons feel better, or making the exotics feel more exotic, and stuff like that, and balancing out the weapon classes to make it so that like the most boring ones get some play, like that kind of stuff. In, in any, any other company, I feel like that kind of stuff would have been addressed now, and it wouldn't be such, like, a big deal. It wouldn't be, like, it would be, like, the game came out, and in the first month or two, people are realizing, like, hey, the exotics are really boring, and uh, yeah. what's with, what's the deal with these double primaries, and uh, all the classes are kind of stale and boring. Yeah. Destiny is kind of buried under the weight of itself. And it's weird, because it's, like, there's not so much there that it makes any sense to me why they can't make quicker changes. Like one of the whole big things with destiny two was uh, like their justification for scrapping the original destiny instead of building on it was that the original destiny was this big development hell cycle. And because of it, they weren't able to really have an engine or work with it in the way that they discovered people wanted to like people wanted to play it like an MMO. They wanted it to be this hobby grade kind of thing where they could play it every day for years. And, with Destiny 2, they 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 were like, well, you know, you're going to leave it behind, but we're going to have a much better engine and a much better vehicle for, like, addressing problems. So if there's imbalances with weapons, we want to be quicker on it. But they're not at all. Like, they're they're just as slow to doing any of that. And then, it's, and then like, therein lies, like, the huge problem with Destiny 2. It was like, th- the players were more understanding of these issues the first time around and i think the game was a little bit overall better than destiny 2 was at launch which is kind of weird because destiny 2 seemed like it was going to be good but then all the problems kind of started arising and it got like very long in the tooth very quickly so it's like weird that the game is like almost trying to it's like at the point that it's at now it's almost trying to get back to a place where it's as at least as fun as destiny 1 but then after that they're going to work on like more of the content issues but it's like it's so weird like destiny ones was so fun but they had they had a content issue problem and now they made a less fun game and they're spending all this time apparently working just to make it as fun as destiny 2 but it still has these content issues so like when are they ever going to get it right i don't know if i care to find out it's a bummer because I really you know, want to like that franchise and Bungie has let me down so many times that it's like it, it, there's not yeah. a lot of trust. But there's so many other games to play and that one doesn't even have a Battle Royale mode. Yeah, it's true. Um, what else was getting a Battle Royale? I forgot. Something funny was getting a Battle Royale. Oh, um, uh, Battle Right. That the uh, yeah. Battle Right, the top-down arena game is getting a Battle Royale mode. The, the truest form we are we are in the post post existence of battle royale where where battle royale is just the mode that you add to anything to try and get more people to play it you know i like battle royale though and i think that that's a good flavor speaking of battle royale though did you hear that boss keys is out of business oh no i didn't hear that that's the uh isn't that the cliff blazinski spinoff company yeah, that's the company that made Lawbreakers uh, and Radical Heights, which is their new early access battle royale game. Oh, wow. And they're out of business. So what's happening with Radical Heights? It's staying up for now, but that's about it. I have no idea. So maybe that never gets out of early access, huh? Yeah, I guess that remains to be seen. You know, the shooting in that game was pretty good, but I don't. This is a situation with MOBAs where it's like for MOBAs, there was League of Legends and there was Dota 2. And for Battle Royale, there's PUBG and there's Fortnite. 
And I don't know if anybody else is going to be able to do it to enter that space until Blizzard says, here's Heroes of the Storm Battle Royale edition. Yeah. Hmm, what a bummer. I, I don't like, I, I never had any interest in either of those games, but it's kind of sad to see like Bosky, a studio that probably had a lot of talent and promise, like, you know, fall so flat, but kind of on them. I mean, Lawbreakers doesn't really, I can see how Lawbreakers in a pitch, uh, like when it was being, you know, crafted from an intellectual standpoint, probably sounded like a really good bet of like, here we're making this like hero quake kind of thing, uh, that that works in this like Overwatch world, um, but it, you know, like it, I feel like it took them too long. Like if they had come out with it like five years ago, then when they were making the the idea for it, it would have been a hit but they just didn't realize that like all that development time, the world had already turned. Um, but it's sad because, you know, Cl- like Cliff Blazinski, uh made gears, which is yeah. that's something, whether or not you liked gears or not, like it's still yeah. like a big flashpoint. Good talent will end up somewhere though. Yeah, I'm sure he'll end up somewhere. Um, Speaking of which uh, the good life was funded uh, and it was a close one. Uh, the good life being the new game by sweary, uh, creator of Deadly Premonition, uh, I backed that. Did you back that as well? I backed that. I'm really excited about that because it was so close to not happening. I that that was not a great pitch though. That game that game is like it, it's it's weird because a sweary game doesn't really work on Kickstarter. The more I thought about it, uh, like if you kickstarted Deadly Premonition or something, uh, it would look so bad and so uninteresting. Uh, but really, like the interesting thing of it is playing it and seeing what he, how like how the dialogue is or what the world is, and seeing the weird choices. And you can't really get that from a Kickstarter pitch. It just almost seems like kind of a basic, like simple, almost boring did you game. See, did you see the video where Swery had all of his friends promote the game? No. So he had all these famous like video game and pop figures saying. In Swery's new game, people turn into what at night? And it was the dumbest video, but also maybe one of my favorite just like videos to advertise a Kickstarter. Yeah. That is a really good game if you like both Twin Peaks and uh, Haruki Murakami, I guess. Turning into a cat and uh, in a secluded village with a murder, huh? That at night people turn into cats. That that is out of one Q eighty four, right? Yeah. T- the town of cats. So there you go. Uh, did you look into the new Path of Exile League at all? I didn't. Is that going on? Uh, the new Path of Exile. Well, currently they're doing a flashback event where it's just like you get tons of drops because that's what it's about. Uh, but starting June first is the Incursion League where you enter a Val temple in the past and you sort of, you're able to construct a Val temple sort of out of the rooms that you find in the past world. It, I'm, I'm a little unclear on how the mechanics work, but I think the thing I'm most excited for is all of the new skill gems and all of the reworked skill gems. Cause it seems like there's going to be just even more variety in terms of what uh, the meta allows. It was kind of weird to see. I was just thinking about recently that uh, Beastiary seemed like the big one of the biggest expansions they've ever added, 
and so interesting and so promising and yet it would really ended up being a really hyper disliked league and to the point where people where they're not doing anything with that anymore like they they removed every aspect of it usually when they make a league uh something uh rolls over onto the base game so that like it builds onto the game overall and it's kind of weird to be going into another league where like the last league will just not have anything coming over yeah but i i'm sure that something will end up in the game at some point whether it's like uh some maps or i I don't think it's going to be totally tossed out because there was a lot that went into that league and from effort from an effort standpoint but you know of course with incursion they are once again saying this is our biggest challenge league ever and it looks pretty big biggest uh, apparently doesn't mean best yeah that's for sure but this one also looks like uh the thing people really like in expansions is killing tons of monsters and this looks like another league of kill tons of monsters it's an interesting uh thing for them to balance around as a developer like it's i see where they went with bestiary league of like we want to add some a mechanic that uh diversifies what you're doing as a player and not just always you know wading through tons of monsters and blowing everything up but then it's kind of also weird to like like for me as a player thinking like yeah they should do something different but then looking back on leagues or or like things about the game i've enjoyed the most and it's like yeah actually maybe i'm an idiot maybe you just make as many enemies on the screen as possible blow them all up man yeah there were Am I crazy? Was there more video games or are we just hyper efficient? I mean, I got done with my list. Man. And talked about what I've been largely games? playing. Because that's what I played. Just waiting it on, was... uh, I'm just waiting on uh, SSGSS uh, Gogeta. You're just waiting on Black Rose Wars. It's all you talk about. I'm just waiting on SSGSS Gogeta and on uh, Zamasu, Fuse Zamasu for Dragon Ball Fighters. Are there any games that you're like looking forward to this year? Maybe. Um, Are you looking forward to E3? I guess so, because I think that we're in a good time for announcing a bunch of stuff. I'm also like constantly excited about the Switch to see, so like to see what it's they be got a crazy next. E3 for the Switch. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. I think that that will be promising. I'm kind of excited for uh, a game that I kickstarted that I was showing you, uh, Wild Mage um that seemed really interesting what you love mages i do love mages um i don't think i talked about this yet on the podcast but i believe that's coming out let's let me take a look so approximately december this year no december next year sorry oh shit um so that's a hot minute away uh but that's an interesting game that's not coming out this year so my point that i was going to make is kind of moot um, I feel like I feel like the thing that I'm more excited about is my Kickstarter wave that I got coming for me. You see, what is in your Kickstarter wave? Some surprises that I can't talk to you about yet, even you. Um, but more than anything, uh, is it out of embarrassment? Like, why can't you say it? Because I, I I want one of the things to be a surprise. Um, let's see. I'm. I, 
and broken unbroken uh is coming out later this year that i'm very excited for that's the no, that's available to play right now on tabletop simulator yeah i should get i should definitely do that uh and but but i also think that that would kind of ruin it for me you know like i i think that like i would i would enjoy playing the actual card game more uh than playing it on tabletop simulator simulator um so i wouldn't want to spend that much time with it if i got it but maybe i'd want to check it out uh, so that maybe, that should maybe come out. Put some Millennium Blades on on Tabletop Simulator if you end up liking it, though. Yeah, so that's supposed to come out this year. I'm excited about that. That's December. Um, let's see. Uh, Arena is supposed to come out May next year. That is exciting. Black Rose Wars is January next year. Um, that's Imperial probably the most exciting. What? Imperial is December of this year. Oh yeah. That yeah. game looks really cool. Um, uh, Court of the Dead, Mourner's Call that I was talking about, that comes out in December this year. Uh, again, some of these things are going to change probably or like be moved around. Um, and what else? Uh, City of Kings, January 2019. That's another one that looks really interesting. Uh, a uh, worker place mini um rpg uh, that uh, that has a lot of wow elements in it a lot a lot of people compare it to wow and i think the designers uh enjoy that comparison so a lot of vanilla do you buy current board games or do you only buy the idea of board games the i think the next board game that i want to purchase as like a game that currently exists is dead of winter but i would have to have a good team to a good group of people to play that with uh is that a co-op game yes yes um i my the the confusion of my voice comes from the fact that so uh real quick because i've never played it so i don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it it is a uh zombie survival game and uh i know like they're the the metaphysically everyone rolled their eyes but uh it is the height of that in board gaming um you play with a team of people and you're all sharing resources and stuff and trying to help out the overall uh the overall uh group of survivors that town but uh you all have your own goals and someone could be it could possibly be a traitor and their success is is hinged on the failure of the survivors um and it is a uh, some of the things like if you uh, I, I recommend anyone watch the shut up and sit down of it because it is a very a uh, like emergent style game where there's tons of stuff that that from a deck that you'll never see uh, the first many times you play it and uh, the game creates stories with like you can vote survivors and kick them out of the of the settlement and they continue to play so if you think someone's a traitor you can vote them out and they can be like, no, I'm not a traitor. No, I'm, I'm not. And then you kick them out. They'll continue to play for the rest of the game, but they play a solo game where they are like still on the board and still doing things and still like possibly helping or ruining the settlement. But they're playing their own weird solo game that is like non-communicated to the other players. Like everything they That's have. So yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it would create like, like for shut up and sit down, they were talking about how they voted a player out, and then the player from then on like could never return to the settlement, but they can still play. So what they were doing was like going around and making a lot of noise and like trying to take as many resources from the different areas that they could, and then make it and then leave by making a lot of noise to make it hard for someone to come back and being this like weird homeless 
survivor that is just like kind of making the game overall super difficult for everyone else and then completing their own goals so there's some interesting stuff there um it's it's apparently very good and it and it's a also pretty brutal. Uh, I think probably one of the most insane things, and I could leave it on saying this, is that I think basically whenever you do anything uh, in the game, whenever you like move to a new area, uh, you roll a dice, and there is a instant death on it. It's a twenty-sided dice where one side of the dice is your character dies. No, nothing to say about that. And then there's other things where you get bit, and if you roll that, if you roll the twenty-sided dice and you get bit, then the bite could spread to nearby people, and then they roll the dice and all this oh, kind of no. stuff. Yeah. Well, that sounds interesting. But yeah, probably a game that you need a few players to play. And that is the trickiest part of these board games. That is the trickiest part of board games. And it's really frustrating because we just don't have, like, people are busy. We're, we're not, like, if I was in high school and experiencing this, I don't know if I'd be able to appreciate it or have the money for it. But I would have the time and I would have a larger friend group. And if you could get, uh, you know, together, like, like, you know, you know, and be that game ambassador and get a, a bigger friend group into a game and then be able to hang out consistently because, like, you're just going to high school or maybe just working a part part time job, then this would be amazing. Because in so many of these games, I would be able to play and get the full, like, interesting you know all the interesting things that can happen kind of in that box and feel like i got my money's worth yeah. but but it, it is a bummer because it's like you live far apart from me and you're kind of the most you are not that far but like you live like 45 minutes to an hour drive away um but we work opposite schedules and it's hard to meet up and uh you're the kind of the other person that that likes the game the most so it's hard to find like, like even getting these games or thinking about kickstarting these games, like I do have that worry, that fear of like, will I ever experience it fully? Like, will I ever get to do like black, uh, for, for like blood rage, I was happy that I could play half a game with four players, but it's like, that's what I want to do with that game is like, I want to play like 10, 20 games over a couple months with four players i want to sure. have all those players in there and it kind of like doesn't def it kind of like hampers the experience if you can't get a big group together yeah. well i gotta say i'm expanding my player base because if you meet one person who plays board games they usually know a couple more people and if you could just connect everybody together eventually you got a stew you got and a that's stew, what baby. i'm working on i'm building up my stew a big man's putting stew. in all the ingredients a big gamer stew. But we'll play some board games tomorrow. It's going to be a good week. Good week full of rain. You, yeah. You, uh, you brought it back with you. I know. We were having Florida. terrible rain in, in Florida. And then I fly up here and I'm getting pelted on again. Can't escape it. The weather is always big. Big New York weather. 90 degrees last week. Raining this week. Thunderstorm. There's there's a little bit of hail yesterday. Oh, neat. Everyone loves that. It was 90 degrees out and there was hail. You know, I don't remember uh, real significant instances of hail for the first like 25 years of my life. And only in the recent years have I noticed like multiple times of like, yeah, it's hailing out right now. It's little annoying ice bricks are hitting me. Well, that's the deal with the weather. And possibly the deal with games. This has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online at WTDGpodcast.com. 
on Twitter at WTDG Podcast and on iTunes at What's the Deal with Games, where you can rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. And you should, because look at we just gave you basically two hours nonstop of video games and board games and games and games in general. That's amazing. Um, thank you, Ron Gowing, crying for the future of music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Room for Cover Bandcamp. It's not new. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Can you get me Sean's outro? Thanks, Sean. No, Sean's outro, his classic. Thanks, Sean. I want to end on something better than thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Here at WTG, we thank Sean every day for what he does and what he doesn't do. Thanks, Sean. 